peek behind the curtain of the softly training lab with the hybrid training talk. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. All right, guys, welcome back to another weekly episode of the Softly Performance Podcast. We got myself, Chris Van Brink. We got George Christopher Briones the third. Hello, guys. We got, we got our <laughs> our awesome registered dietitian, registered dietitian, <laughs> not nutritionist. <laughs> Not someone who just did a couple of online classes in uh, how to eat healthy. Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> yeah, hey, bro. But 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 the thing is, though, is I've done it and I didn't I didn't have to worry. I went to a two day course that taught me everything. I, I know more than I, my registered the, the dietitian. The better one is oh, but I have a six pack. I know how to eat good. Therefore, I know everything that Brooke knows. She can't teach me nothing. False. Don't <laughs> challenge my years of education and nerdiness, please. I don't have a six pack. <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> Anyways, so I on that though, and and so what today's episode, aside from just throwing shade out there in the universe. <laughs> um, welcome back, guys. Yeah, welcome, welcome back to back. the Softly Performance Podcast. Um, when we're when we're not being professional, this is what we do. If you guys haven't noticed, me and Chris like to throw shade at each other. Oh my uh, god, that was it's, so it's, epic. It's, it's, if you haven't noticed, guys, one of the podcasts, Hydration One, but the thing is, it was me and Chris actually do like each other, so we pick on each other. That it's it's, it's like it's like little, being like big brother, little brother, except I'm the big brother. I was gonna and, say, are we gonna argue over who's and the big brother? It's the little brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. Which with is being funny the because brother. I'm pretty sure I am actually older than you are. So even if we, you are, you're two years older yeah, than I me. I know. Which I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse, but. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> here, here we are. Either way. Um, so I, I wanted to share a story and um, to kind of kick things off. And it was like, so real quick before you start the story, Chris, real fast before you start the story. Hey guys, <laughs> I know, I know, Chris is getting super angry, but guys, you have to understand, Chris is a very good storyteller. Brooke, am I correct or wrong on this? He is a really good storyteller. I I really enjoy it. That's just going to I mean, I can this. sit and listen to Chris talk for three to four hours. Okay, then, like, that's how good of a then, storyteller then why he is. Why don't we sit and listen to Chris talk? <laughs> <laughs> we just have to make sure everyone's ready instead to prep of, for this. Instead of interrupting Chris when he's about to talk. Oh, God. All right. All Chris right. is going to drop so, his um, thoughts. There I was. I'm just kidding. No, we wanted to, I wanted to introduce today's podcast with a, with a small anecdotal experience that, in my mind, nonetheless, touches on a much, much greater problem slash theme that we're going to address in today's podcast. So I got away this last weekend and I just, I unplugged, right? So no cell phone, you know, just kind of detached, went into nature, you know, old school Emerson or Walt Whitman style. And uh, there's a really great place. Um, if you guys ever been out there in the Pigsaw National Forest, it's a beautiful area in uh, Western North Carolina. And so I went out there and I, I brought a book with me, uh, one that you can actually turn, not the one you turn on and use your finger to kind of flip the pages, but actual real pages of a real book. Um, and I was I was going out. I, I did a little. It was probably like a you know a little half mile hike off the road to uh, a little waterfall spot that we had found when we were doing the um, the meetup in Brevard this last time. 
and and it's a pool like there's actually i mean it's deep enough that you can swim in and i mean it's fall ish so you know we're talking 68 70 degrees outside beautiful day clear day slight breeze um the morning was a little chilly but the like the late morning early afternoon was in my mind in my mind it was beautiful so i um you know i did what any person i thought was you know rational well i you know i I took my shirt off and had my shorts on and i and i jumped in to this i mean it don't get me wrong it was cold it was cold water it was it was a natural spring waterfall is beautiful um and as i popped out right of course people were walking by on the trail you know dressed in their in their north face and arcteric down jackets uh with beanies on and you know, fur-lined boots and just, you know, bundled to the nines, right? And here I am, you know, laying in the sun on a rock, air-drying, you know, flipping the pages of my real book. And this woman comes up to me and she looks at me and she's like, man, you are so brave. Brave. Of, of all the adjectives to use to describe my current condition of air-drying, as in self-regulating my body temperature, which is which is something that everyone has the ability to do naturally, provided everything is functioning right. That to to jump into a, a chilly pool on a beautiful fall day, I was brave. And of course, she was you know bundled up in her down jacket and her you know hiking thick pants with boots with fur and a scarf and a beanie. As, as if it was really, really cold outside, right? And, and I'm, I mean, I, I, you know, thank you very much. You know, yes, I, I don't think I'm brave personally, but I just, you know, I wanted to feel refreshed was, was my response. But as I sat there, I, I mean, I really, I thought to myself and, you know, as, as thoughts come to you during unplugged weekends, that by and large, you know, human beings, as we've progressed through our stages of human evolution, um, we have become exceedingly comfortable, right? I mean, and to the point where, you know, really doesn't matter where you're at on the planet, right? But life is generally lived for human beings nowadays between the temperatures of 68 and 73 degrees. I mean, we're either inside, we're either in a car, we're in our house, where everything, generally speaking, is comfortable. And and that's the environment that we constantly surround ourselves with, to the point where when we go out on a, on a crisp, clean, sunshiny day in the fall, we have to bundle ourselves in our jackets and pants and fur boots because we've literally, we, we struggle to get outside of our comfort zone, you know, or even to the point where the tiniest temperature stressors make us really, really uncomfortable as people, you know, and we see this a lot of times being replicated and being a part of a lot of military selections, right? So we, you know, the Navy SEALs, they go out into the ocean in the surf and they, they get wet and sandy and uncomfortable. And it's like, man, what life have we built for ourselves? Um, that has such narrowed the comfort zone of normal human beings, you know, because from a training standpoint to kind of frame the discussion, 
we really look to get outside of our comfort zones to experience those gains. You know, when we talk about, you know, one natural phenomenon that that everyone, any coach who's coached in a gym for longer than a day knows is that they watch these what we call beginner gains, right? And and a lot of it in my hypothesis is that the reason why beginner gains are so drastic right when we're talking like 20 30 pound jumps in weight over a very short amount of time if if that if if doing just a couple a small handful of workouts is what's getting you out of your comfort zone one that tells me how narrow your comfort zone was to start with you know and two just the fact by you doing something pushed you so far out of like this narrow window of living that you've created for yourself you know and i and Brooke, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like it's like dieting, right? Like people lose a lot of weight and then they progress and they stop losing weight, right? Like you see these, right? It's yeah, exactly. You know, and and it's always it's fascinating to me because you know ultimately when we look at the progression of an athlete, we're looking at widening the comfort zone, right? Because then and it, it falls along the same lines of a theory where the better you are, the more it takes to get better. The wider my comfort zone is, the more it takes to to push me outside of it. Like the different stressors and stimulants that we look at to try to get us outside of our comfort zone. So it just, it was an interesting little tidbit, but you know, to, to bring this back to the conversation and we kind of look at basically how we, how we got here, right? How we got to the point and some of the habits that we've lost along the way, you know, it's, I always found it funny, you know, when, when the paleo diet was a thing, you know, it was like people looked at it like, oh, man, the new thing, the paleo diet. And I'm like, what, coming back to you after it's been, what, 10,000 years since human beings have generally eaten this way? Like, it's not a new thing. You know, it's it's a new thing in the age of processed foods. But from a dietary standpoint, you know, we have seen a massive shift in how we and then that's just one part of it we'll start with the diet and we'll kind of progress into the training aspect yeah. from there they've also created it as a fad diet like if you can buy a paleo cookie it's not truly paleo it's just another processed crap fad diet true true it, it, so you're telling me so you're telling me gurus in nutrition don't exist what <laughs> like so gurus, right? We talk about these things. People will come out and you're talking about the comfort zone and stuff. We talk about nutrition. Well, we're looking at the aspect of like people develop these ideas of like, hey, I'm a guru for just A, B, C, and D, See, which end up creating these. The problem, these, these the problem that I have with the word guru is that you're implying that the little bit of knowledge that you have, number exactly. one, is a secret. And it's not a secret. You know? No, right. you're right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think and everyone want there want everyone's like there has to be some type of nutritional secret. And the secret is that's what I'm trying to you get need to, to Thanks, be Brooke, dedicated. You need to be consistent and you need to have balance and put in the work. There's going to be no magic diet, even if it is this idea of following back to your Paleolithic ancestors. That's really not the answer anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it's from a from an evolutionary standpoint, you know, when we look at you know, how human beings have evolved. Like what like what allowed us to make these shifts? Because, I mean, you, a lot of people make the argument when you look at the science behind human evolution is that human beings, like the one really big thing that separates us apart from our ancestors, early, early ancestors, was one, our ability to solve problems. And by solving problems, we, have, we grew the size of our brains. And one of the things, one of the, one of the shifts 
from a dietary standpoint that caused that, at least to my understanding, was when human beings started incorporating fish into their diet. So we get the the fatty acids that help develop these more advanced brain processes that allow us to solve problems, you know. And when human beings started to, you know, you know, one one very popular adaptation that human beings got because, you know, so we, you know, we look at the the different stages of human evolution. You know, Homo sapiens were birthed out of the Ice Age, right? The Ice Age gave birth to the the genus known as, as Homo sapiens, and you know, we we had this ability. We've developed this. We've been given this evolutionary ability to retain body fat. Why? Because we needed it. Because it kept us warm. It kept us. It, we had this built-in fuel reserve that we could tap into when the animal population moved away because of colder weather and we needed to go after it. So we had, we essentially needed to develop a mechanism that our bodies had that allowed us to move over longer distances. Like human beings are, as I, I forget what the author's name is, George, but you're the runner, born to run, right? Oh, yeah. Human beings have this biological adaptation. We, we suck at sprinting as humans. But by God, we are some of the best distance runners in all of the animal kingdom. We, you know, we, we can move long distances. We carry with us our fat, right? Which now we, you know, we demonize because fat's like the enemy, mm-hmm. right? So, <laughs> you know, so, so we have all these evolutionary adaptations that we've now, as a species, come to really try to reverse engineer. I mean, and granted, out of necessity, we, because we, we can grow enough food now to where you know, we can sit in one place and never do anything. You know, we have vehicles and autumn, you know, cars, bikes, and trains that negate our ability or even desire to move with our legs, you know. And then and then we wonder why it's like, you know, the body's trying to play this evolutionary catch-up where it's like, look, I gave you all these things and now you're not even using them anymore, you know. And then we come to the point where, we become obese because we carry too much fat and we become too sedentary. And now we're forced to revert back towards an earlier evolutionary standpoint. We move more, we eat more natural foods that come from the earth and not the processed foods that we've created for ourselves. So it's like, you know, you ask yourself the question, you know, what, what are some things that we've done as a society, whether it's from a dietary standpoint or from a training standpoint, that have caused us basically to revert or reverse our evolutionary advances, you know, like processed foods. I was going to say, I think the bit, one of the biggest ones to me is how we've changed food. We have absolutely altered what food is meant to be and what something that used to come from the ground, the ocean, the pasture from hunting and fishing and harvest now goes through a processing plant is usually pumped full of chemicals, preservatives, sugar, salt, in an effort to stabilize it, to put it in a box or a bag, to sit on a shelf for sometimes years at a time because they were trying to fix the problem of making sure to get food to the masses. But instead, they've created this complete lack of connection and respect to food, and we have it on demand. We no longer have to work for food or grow food and it's it's kind of sad and it's weird it's it's weird how our culture has changed to 
wanting everything to be like 60 minute brown or 60 second brown rice and instant mac and cheese. And it's just kind of weird. That was Mm -hmm. never what it was intended to be. So -hmm. you don't have to work for any of this anymore when you used to. Now it's being absolutely like over processed. And there's things in food that your body used to have an ability to regulate itself. And we've kind of blurred those lines because of what we choose to put into our body. Your body naturally has things like leptin and ghrelin, which are uh, regulators of hunger and, and how you're telling your body when you need things and when you don't need them. And we've actually become addicted to food additives and sugar and fake chemicals and flavors that were never meant to exist. The Dorito is my favorite example. The flavor of a taco on a chip that was made in a test tube was never meant to be something, but people will crave it. They'll crave it. And the more sugar and things you eat, the more you'll crave them. So it's kind of just this dangerous slope that we've gone into and people have no self-control anymore, I think, when it comes to it and no balance because our society now tells us we need to over-restrict. And uh, this came up with Halloween. This is a great example. You see people like, instead of candy, you should eat these, these, it literally said like a bowl of mushrooms. What the hell is, if I'm craving a Snickers fun size, eating a bowl of mushrooms, like how is that going to satisfy that craving? (laughs) Like, don't tell yourself to be that way. Eat one or two little Snickers and enjoy it and then move on. But instead we've come into this weird cycle of, of, marketing from food companies and marketing of fad diets. And it's just this horrible cycle that's going over and over and over again. And we've lost our real connection to food. Yeah. And that's a great point too, because I, you know, one of the, you know, whenever you kind of, at least whenever I, I, I dive into some of the, the nerdy science aspects of evolution was that, you know, human beings at one point in time and, and granted by necessity, they had to be very durable, Right. And, and they had to be they had to be long lasting and they had to be, you know, able to do a wide variety of things. I need to move over long terrain. I need to be able to hunt. I need to be able to, you know, interact with other people. And and by and large, you know, they it seemed to, you know, human beings seem to create some level of balance in their lives that allowed them to exist for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You know, I, I, you know, with, with the, with the dietary trends, I'd be really curious to see like what human beings look like a thousand years from now. Well, you know, it, it goes into this man. And, and I, I love the fact that we're, the fact that we're talking about this because of the fact of like, it comes down to our human development, right? Like that's realistically what it is. Right. And when we talk about, and you've said it plenty of times, Chris, you're like, you know, when we go out to eat, we go ahead and order a beer, we order chips and salsa and we order a burger and some fries because that's a social, mm-hmm. that's socially acceptable, right? Like yeah. that's socially acceptable. So when it comes down to when we talk about like our development and the stages of development of what we do, we go ahead and go back to, let's talk about, you know, the ice age time frame. you know, the way that we were, you know, supposed to develop is one of those things where it's stages, right? And when we get into a certain stage, we start developing and exploring our, our, our environment. And we start wanting to look at, you know, being positive and creating self-esteem and actually working for something that's going to make us feel proud, mm-hmm. right? And I think that we've taken that away from, from people nowadays well we've right we've, yeah we've taken we've it for taken granted. that away you know i, I think it, you, know, ex- yeah. you never had like 
and granted, you know, a lot of it had to do with, with scarcity. I mean, if you, anyone who's ever had to hunt and fish for a living, like if that was your sole means of food intake, will tell you that there's very, very rarely ever an excess. I would probably end up living <laughs> off like squash. I mean, like, <laughs> that's I mean, the that's only the thing. thing. And, and because, like, because there was zero excess, you know, that mm-hmm. that excess is something that we as a as a human population have really, really latched onto. Like we've all, like we've lost the ability to portion control, right? Like a bowl full of mushrooms. Like it's not, and it's like. Because I think people are playing off the the idea that it's like, man, if I if I if I could only just eat one Snickers bar, so but I can't eat the Snickers bar. But I can eat. I have to eat five. <laughs> you know, it's like you eat a whole like like when you, you ever see like well, speaking of Halloween, right? Go on Instagram and you look at you know your friends with kids and whatnot. Like, what do the kids have on the floor when they come home after a night of trick o treating? I mean, they uh, the ones I've seen. It's All like dumping out like an entire it's bucket of candy. It's a mountain of candy, right? It's a mountain. It's, of, it's not. It's not like one or two pieces. A right? bucket, a pillowcase full. That's it's what we a, used to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like there and there's and, and what do you do? Like, I mean, of course, they're kids, and you know, you you eat the candy, and you know, until you don't feel good anymore, and then you try to go to sleep. But that 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 same, even though it seems small, right? Like that habit of just going overboard with like just too much is something that one, like we, we just, we do all the time. You know, it's like, we've lost the ability to portion control, which is, which is why I think, you know, we always, we, we look at restriction. You know, it's like we've, we have to rely on someone else to tell us what we should be able to do naturally. And that's just like, shit, just don't eat as much, you know, like the secret, the secret to weight loss, right? Like, well, and okay, okay. So we can go that route, but I think the problem is, is that we're not providing a crisis in anybody's life to go ahead and go and resort to that idea. I, that's what I feel that's happening. I think people just so, wait, like they wait till like a medical professional tells them they have to. Right? It, you know, it's, it's the like, want versus need. It's, I look at it as the want versus need, right? And I can go ahead and go into the same idea, like don't eat the Snickers bar and go eat a fucking bowl of, ma- of mushrooms. Like I'll go eat a bowl of mushrooms if they're going to like make you trip. Like that's cool. But why would I go and eat a bunch of <laughs> like a bunch of mushrooms that are not going to do anything for me that are not going to satisfy me like mentally, right? Like that's I'm the eating point. the Snickers bar. I'm eating the Snickers bar because one, I like the way it tastes Two, It makes me feel good. So why not eat it? This well, is kind of what they call intuitive eating, which we've talked about exactly. before is like, you should be able to know this is something I enjoy. So I'm going to have a bite or two of a fun size snicker and that's okay. Because if you tell yourself it's, it's been researched. If you tell yourself, I'm not allowed to have chocolate cake. I'm on a diet. I'm only allowed to have this. All you're going to think about is the chocolate cake. And eventually you're going to give in and go nuts on a chocolate cake. So don't tell yourself that things are bad or dirty or off limits. Mm -hmm. Like just and allow yourself to be a human and have a taste and just understand that you need to work on a balance. And it is hard for a lot of people. People are extremely overfed and undernourished. Yeah. We'll see what's funny. And then, you know, dialing it back to the evolutionary standpoint, like our, our ancient ancestors were that way because that's all they had. Right. There was no well, again because they were and now they were put into places for crisis. Like, well, they, right. like life, if you didn't eat what happens. Life was a crisis. Yeah. And then and then and now it's like now we've now we've completely reverted to the other end of the spectrum where now we have to regulate ourselves. So when we talk about like the things that we want you guys to ultimately take away from this and and, I, and I'd be curious, Brooke, even for from your perspective, we talked about the um, 
like the craving that you develop for like this unnatural sugary taste that we've seemingly created. Like, can that craving be reversed? It can. Give yes. yourself two weeks and don't add like don't add sugar. Um, you know, honestly, things like I don't add sugar to my coffee, which I then I think it's weird when other people do because I don't. I use almond milk, coconut milk mix that has no added sugar. Within two weeks, you'll go back to almost reset your taste buds where you're not even going to be craving the sugar. You're not really like feeding that. So it's you. So, yeah. Yeah. And then now when I eat things like that, they make me feel sick to my stomach because I'm not used to it. Mm hmm. So I'm going to bring up two things here to answer that is because I, I call it reshaping or reconditioning the human being and how we look at how to get them from drinking coffee with sugar to get them away from drinking coffee with sugar. And two things happen there, right? We look at classical conditioning of learning and then we look at optimum uh, conditioning of learning, which classical conditioning of learning pretty much comes into a whole of two stimuli create a response. Right. So, for example, Brooke doesn't want to do sugar or she likes sugar in her coffee. So when she hears sees a coffee cup, she sees sugar. It creates this response of I want that. Right. Well, we go ahead and now recondition or reshape in the realm of like, OK, cool. The coffee cup's there. We're going to put the sugar somewhere else. And I'm going to create another stimuli. Oh, this is what's going to happen. Now we go and look at opera um, conditioning learning style. We go ahead and look at as a a positive and negative or a consequence, right? So for example, hey, I'm gonna go ahead and go to, I'm gonna go a day today, I'm gonna go next five days without putting sugar in it. And on Saturday, I'm gonna go ahead and let myself have a little bit of sugar inside. That's a positive reinforcement there. So that by the time next week comes around, they're like, all right, cool. I'm gonna give myself another positive reinforcement to reshape them and how to do that. So now we just reshaped and reconditioned them on how to look at taking away sugar out of their coffee. I think the I, I think I follow you. I, uh, I I think the important thing to take away, and it's something that I know we brought up in earlier podcasts with the intuitive eating, is ancestrally speaking, we were never as human beings designed to attach emotions to food. There is no such thing as guilty food, cheating food. Th th those. Those no dirty food, no dirty food, no that, bad no. food. Like the, it, food is like food is food, and it will always be that way for the human condition because that is exactly that is how we were wired. And and George, I think if I was picking up what you were putting down, the idea is if if you want to reverse some of these habits that you've created for yourself is to understand, number one, that you are a byproduct of your environment. If you exactly. if you set up your environment in a way that is not conducive, for example, as parents, right? Where do we put the cookie jar to de-incentivize our kids from eating too many cookies? Probably in a high spot. On a high spot, <laughs> right? We make, it, exactly. we make it inconvenient for our kids because we know our kids lack self-control. If you leave the cookie jar out on the counter, they're going to eat all the cookies. If you put the cookie jar on a high shelf, it, it creates a different environment by where it's inconvenient. And right now, human beings that, who are listening to this podcast, if there's one thing that you've been conditioned to more than anything else, it is convenience. And you, you know exactly. And you are a sucker for convenience on every single level, on every aspect of your life. And, and major companies love this fact because the more convenient they can make your life, the more likely you are 
to buy whatever it is they're selling. Like absolutely. And and but again though, it comes down to just a reinforcement. And that's what I was talking about. The optimant conditioning is because of the fact that it it creates a either a positive reinforcement and like okay cool, I can go ahead and buy A B C and D and I have it within minutes in front of me right cool. But if we were to go ahead and take that away, like you talked about the cookie jar and be like, all right, now I got to go ahead and put this cookie jar on top of the, on top of the cupboard to where my kids can't get to it. They now have to create a way how to get to that cupboard to do that. They're not going to want to go through all that because they're going to look for the next quick thing to get it to it because of the way they're conditioned. And I would like to take it a step further even and create your environment and set it up. And I know this is probably harder with children around and there's certain things they're going to want to eat that you probably shouldn't be. But why don't you try to develop a relationship with you and your family surrounding food and cooking and don't keep things in the house that you don't need to eat on a regular basis. Like you mm -hmm. shouldn't eat sweets every day. So just don't keep it around and let right. it be a family treat. You know, maybe we have a Friday night, like make an ice cream Sunday together right. um, and try to actually just set up your environment because we know, like, we're talking about how humans really lack self-control and self-regulation in this world now, this, like, Amazon Prime life, then why don't we try to just make an effort to, to totally set ourselves up for success? Right. No, and that's absolutely true. And, and another critical component of that, um, and another, like, lesson learned from the ancient ancestors of humankind, is that another key adaptation that human beings have that a lot of the other creatures in the animal world don't have, or at least don't have the, the level that we have, is complex communication, right? So when humans developed a language and a means to communicate their ideas and their feelings, what they did was they started to group in like-minded type tribes, right? So, so human beings were able to survive arduous conditions, not on their own, but because they had small bands and communities of people who all generally felt and thought the same thing. Um, so for, for your pursuit, you know, when it comes to, we talk about setting up this environment that, you know, is conducive to a more natural and a more healthy lifestyle, find like-minded people. They're out there, right? Like having some measure of accountability in your life uh, is huge because if you feel like you're going at this all alone, it's pretty much doomed to failure, right? There's being solitary is not a natural way for human beings to live. You know, human was really wired to be by themselves. Um, and what's funny is, I mean, you can... We can we can momentarily dive down the the sociological rabbit hole if you'd like to and talk about the quality of human interaction, right? Like, well, yeah. back in the day, you didn't have social media, you didn't have Facebook or Instagram. You were forced well, to have real yeah. conversations with people, maybe over a a fire or something. You had to you had to be able to tell a story, like George says that. That I can do apparently. You had, to, you had to be able to relay a thought in a manner in which people actually wanted to listen. And so, go ahead. That's huge, man. And I, that I think believe is changing the development of like what we look at when we look at the development of the mind, right? For the kids nowadays, right? You talk about social media and you talk about that, right? We take away skills that actually have been ingrained into us to go ahead and continue evolving in this, in this life as a human being, right? We go through stages. Oh yeah. It, but it's, it's to the point where it's like, it's created its own subculture and, oh, and, 100%. and even, and even, you know, to, to even tie, watch this, I'm going to tie social media and diet together. All right. 
Yes. That's you, ready, you ready for this? All right. That's not hard at all. So, so I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Just stand by, George. All right. So, so we talk about human beings having this, this problem with regulation, right? That we, we don't know. We, we've lost our ability to kind of regulate our own dietary intake because of these unnatural, too sweet flavors that are out there at our disposal, right? Social media and the internet basically provide us an outlet for our unregulated tendencies, right? There's no regulation out there. I mean, you can be friends with anybody. You can be anybody you want to. You can create an entirely new image for yourself that's entirely unregulated and project that out almost to the point where people, I think, sometimes place more faith into that reality than they do into the actual real world, right? Like, it's created a whole subculture of individual with a whole new lingo, right? 10 years ago, you never heard someone say, slide into my DMs. Mm. Never heard that, right? That's like, so true. You know, you never heard someone say, like, like swipe right and swipe exactly. left have a whole new meaning Exactly, now. right? You never heard that, right? And it's completely unnatural. Like, because when you think about even the way the human brain was wired from the get-go, from an evolutionary standpoint, we really didn't evolve in a manner that allowed us to interact with probably more than 15 to 20 people at a time. And for, and for a long time, you know, that was like you only knew 15 to 20 people your entire life and then you died, right? Until the tribes became bigger, until tribes began to interact and trade and people started to move greater distances and, you know, and humans created these things called kingdoms and, you know, these more complex social organizations, you know, but even at that point in time, like you were limited to your physical interaction with a human being. You know, and, and to the point where now, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but who people here, you know, who here interacts with more people digitally than they do in the real world? I mean, absolutely. And I think it's funny that I get the most customer interaction questions and feedback through social media platforms. It's, I rarely have contact or hear from a customer. So that's kind of weird to think about how even our whole business and how yeah. it has changed. Yeah. And and it's, go ahead, George. I know you had something. on. No, this. I'm thinking in my head, man, it's cool, man. You guys are going, I'm trying to gather this together and we look at like health and like health and wellness and like how we look at how it's been affected. Well, it's, it's easy, right? So you can, you know, when we, when we look at if, if this is true, right, if you're following the same train of thought from, you know, this unregulated food diet to now to that, which has caused us to, you know, change physiologically, right? Obesity becomes a problem. Issues become a problem. And we know that they're problems, right? And here comes an outlet by where we can reinvent, recreate, change the angles and lighting on your camera that allow you to take better selfies that you can post online to promote this new digital self, right? All the while, you know, we now have changed our want and desire for fitness to accommodate this perception of self, right? So, so now it's about burning fat. It's about burning calories. It's not about taking in calories anymore. It's about getting rid of them. It's about, you know, having bigger biceps or having, you know, a toned ass or whatever. Like, <laughs> you, you know, nowhere in human evolutionary history did we really care about the way that we lo we looked how we looked. Honestly, you know? I think this whole thing is extremely dangerous to the human psyche. The fact that 
some people might have a hard time separating the persona they put on social media with their actual self. Or I think a lot of social comparison, you're comparing yourself or your life to someone's perfectly curated feed or their photoshopped version of themselves. I think that can take a really dangerous toll on someone if you're into like some negative self-talk and some social comparison. And I think it's almost amplifying some of these problems humans already have because it's always at your fingertips. Yeah. Well, I mean, because so, we talk about it, if it's always at your fingertips, it's, this, yeah. it's no different than if I put a million desserts on the table right now and just well, yeah. have at it, right? I mean, I'm not so saying this that... So this goes into, this goes into like, it, it, it's, 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 Chris loves me when I use the word model, but uh, this actually is not mine. This is actually something I've learned, and it's called biophysiological model, um, and it, it and it is also one called the biopsychological model. And the biopsychological model breaks down into three cat, uh, categories, and we look at it's going to be biological ca- uh, characteristics. It's going to look at psychological factors, and we look at social conditioning, which ends up leading us to health and wellness, health and well-being, right? And we got to take all three of those together in which we're talking about, right? We're talking about like, well, what are your genes like? What is your genetics like? What are you, you know, what systems have you been developed in? Okay, cool. From there, what is your psychological, you know, factors in what you're doing? What are your thoughts, actions, along with what are your health beliefs when it comes to health? What is the health knowledge you know? And then from there, what is your social environment like? We talk about right now, we go ahead and look back. Let's go ahead and we talk about bodybuilding. Go way back, right? The social factors way for back, bodybuilding. Way back all 60 some odd years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Like we can go 60 something years if right. you want, but we go ahead and look at that realm of like, okay, people only saw photos from, from books. No one really saw anything through the internet because it wasn't there. All of a sudden now we go ahead and look at how social media has grown. And now it's actually created this psychological response where it's a negative response because everyone looks like I want to be like her, but they also haven't taken the fact the one, those people's social environment two those people's biological, um, you know, characteristics of like how their life was going and what they did when they were growing up. Now it's go ahead and goes into that realm. So I really believe that for someone to really get into a realm of understanding how to be a, on, on a positive realm, they need to understand where they come from on a biological standpoint. And they have to understand that they must understand the psychological aspect of what health and wellness and what food is and how to manage stress and do all those things and then surround themselves in a social uh, environment that's going to promote them to go ahead and move forward and not put them in a bad realm of looking at let's go ahead and look at like you talk about booty blasters a girl looks at them like i want to get a butt like that girl on instagram and she posts that she's doing a b c and d but realistically do you know how she was grown like how how she developed from the age of zero to you know when she saw where she's at now 22 and do you know how she's mentally conditioned because we don't know that so we've talked about this in multiple podcasts before, right? Like, Hey, intuition here, we've done this. And it goes back to just being unable to, to understand that we are all different and we have to take that in consideration at the end of the day, right? For us to continue evolving as a human yeah. being, when we go back to tying it into evolving. Well, and thought here that I just had is why do we try so hard to fit into this mold of what's seen as comfortable in society? Why are we so, uncomfortable with being outside of this little bubble. I think that, and you know, instead you should be celebrating these things and these differences and what you're able to achieve and what you're able to do. And maybe some of your cultural food preferences or how you approach health. I, I just don't understand why everyone wants to fit into this little 
like tiny box? Why can't you be different and just be okay with not fitting in a mold? Well, I create, create your own mold, bro. I have an idea. Oh, believe me, I have. <laughs> well, it's so, all right. Let me see if I can you know, put, put a thought together here. So if you, in, in my opinion, this is, this is my opinion. Um, Charles Darwin gave us the earliest definition of fitness and fitness ultimately meant survival, right? So the survival of the fittest in, in Charles Darwin's mind. Um, so, and, and what, what he was essentially getting at was the ability, when, when you look at the qualities that get passed down from generation to generation, um, the reason why, you know, at one point in time, 100,000 years ago, there's at least six species of humans on the planet, and now there's only one. Um, <laughs> and what got us to that point was ultimately the passing down of favorable characteristics and the doing away with what was not favorable. So the most fit, um, the most, you know, well adapted to their environment ultimately survived, whereas, you know, everyone else kind of, you know, faded away into oblivion. And, and, and because I think those lines, because survival really isn't a thing anymore, right? You know, we're not, we're at a point in our human evolution to where, you know, we're, we're beyond survival. I think, I think we're, we're trying to, you know, we don't have to hunt and worry about food shortages anymore. We have an excess of food, you know, we have, we have, (laughs) we have everything available to us now to the point where, but, but I'm gonna throw this out there. Because of the time frame that we've, you know, expanded our social interaction, the struggle that all human beings now seemingly have, because their life is no longer defined by purpose, it's now like centered around identity. And people all the time have this, like we're faced with this identity. Every person is faced with some sort of identity crisis. What do I identify with? You know, and unfortunately, the more people you have to interact with, like teenagers nowadays probably struggle more so than I think a lot of other teenagers do or ever did, like probably my grandparents, you know, because of what they're exposed to, like the the choices that they have and where they decide to root themselves. And if you gauge your world by who has the most Instagram followers as the most popular thing, then yes, you're essentially trying to turn yourself into somebody else. You know, you've rooted... The, you know, your identity's sake lies in your ability to transform from who you are into whatever, you know, turn yourself into Kim Kardashian, you know, and it's, and it's really unfortunate because you are you, right? Like root your identity in the one thing that is the most absolutely unique thing on the planet. And that's you. There's only one of you, despite all the evolutionary trends and adaptations that we've ever seen as a human species there is only and will only be one of you. And if, if that's not the most empowering thought that, you know, you have, then I'm sorry. Like if, if you, yeah, if you find yourself thinking that you can follow someone else's workout routine to look exactly like that person, you're going to fail. I mean, because yes, George, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Like people will run into their genetic limitations and whereby, you know, we are, you know, 99.99% similar, that 0.001% difference actually makes up for a whole lot of difference. Oh, yeah. It does. And, and, but honestly, but that is the one thing that makes you, you, right? I mean, and that's, that's not to say that you can't, you know, try things and, and see where, like, what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy. 
Um, but understand that that who you are as a person and your identity will always be what's right in front of you. It will be the real world. It will not be the digital world, you know, and, and you have but one life to live and to manage. And it's really important that you do a really good job because you know what? You're right. Some people can eat five bags of Doritos and not gain a single pound. I wouldn't recommend you try that, but like, <laughs> well, go ahead. I'm going to take this another step to you, dude. I really like the fact that you brought up the purpose and identity and I can't take, um, I can't take this, this as mine, uh, buddy, my Michael Belvin said it and he said it really well. It was expectations equals identity. And that's the reason why we're seeing a lot of people have problems is the fact that people go ahead and put expectations in the same line or in the same sentence with their identity. Right? So for example, if you go on Instagram right now, we can look at how many people and their first tagline is going to be, I'm a weightlifter. I'm a coach. I'm this, I'm that. Right? So when we go ahead and look at that, everyone, that's what their expectations is of themselves to be their identity. Take that away. And now all of a sudden, they there's no more identity leading up to whatever they want to do, right? So the kind of the idea that I look there is like, instead of creating an expectation that creates your identity, how about you create a purpose that now gives you an identity to co- go to go ahead and strive for yeah. in that realm, Absolutely. right? Like, I, I believe that's huge. I think your purpose and your values and the why you do things should say so much more than what you're actually what ex- doing. Yeah, or what expectations you want. Right. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like, I think people take that to, you know, you take that to quite a lot of extremes because the other, you know, along the same lines of expectations is that when people start associating numbers with purpose, for example, like, can I be a weightlifter and only snatch the barbell? Or do I have to, you know, win a world championship and qualify for nationals to call myself a weightlifter? Or do I have to weigh, you know, 130 pounds to call myself, you know, or 115 pounds from girl to call myself a model, you know? And, and I think people get really wrapped around, they think the title and the purpose is the same thing, right? Like, I think, I think people should look at their activities as means of illuminating parts of themselves that would not normally be illuminated, right? We The reason why we lift weights you know, and I believe it was Socrates who said something along the lines of, you know, it would be a real shame for man to continue out his entire life and not know what he could do physically. You know, like we, we try to understand our limits as individuals because that ultimately defines the boundaries of our identity. You know, like we push ourselves in the gym because we like to see how much we can lift, right? It's not that it, it's not good or bad if however much you lift in the gym, it's just what you lift. You know, if you want to get into the practical aspect of it, I mean, I'll be honest, if I ever walked up to something that weighed 500 pounds in real life, a 500 pound object that was, you know, sitting in my driveway or somewhere, I mean, the last thing I'm going to try to do is try to pick it up. Like the, (laughs) the only time, you know, you try to pick up like heavy things anymore is really when you're just in the gym, you know? And I I just, I I would want, because I think a lot of people, you know, they, they see the stars of their sport and yeah, they don't see the hard work that goes into to making that. Um, but they think that that's the only way that that pursuit can be successful is if you reach the highest levels of it. And that's absolutely not the case. You can take a lot of enjoyment and pleasure. And I know George who, uh, who recently started his, his jujitsu journey 
which we're hmm. all very happy to see. That's going to be one of the central tenets of uh, of your jujitsu journey is is understanding that you know it's really about enjoying where you're at. You know, it's not about the belts. It's not about the promotions. It's not about you know. It's not about tapping or not tapping, right? Like, I mean, it's not you know literally the the art of human movement was kind of encapsulated in my mind into the to the practice of jujitsu, which is which is why I, I, I do it and I love it. And uh it's it's one of those things that it's just it's without expectation. You know, it's it's like the old saying, right? The best well, expectation to have is no expectation. <laughs> well and that's and I, I'm not gonna lie to you, I actually learned that through ultra running, man. I'm not gonna lie to you at all. Like I, I realized that through ultra running. So when I kind of moved into the realm of like looking at Brazilian jitsu and for those, if you guys saw whatever else, yes, I am training jiu-jitsu twice a week. Um, it's no gi, but one thing I realized, and I think I have advantage, I've noticed this already, Chris, is how calm and collective I am when I am, um, when I am rolling and flowing with guys that are actually a lot, that are way better than me. I mean, of course, anybody's better than me. I've only been doing this for two weeks now. But one thing they've all said to me already is they're like, you're very calm and collective when you're, when you're when you're rolling with us, most new people will come in and be very frantic and want to go a hundred percent and don't really understand that this is an art form of how the body moves and how to go ahead and use the way I move and the way you move. You know, for instance, today, you know, we were going through different positions for, uh, for, uh, leg locks and how to get out of them and, and realizing that realistically it's, 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 it's simple at the same time. You have to be very slow and methodical in what you do so that you're not putting yourself in another position to go ahead and be put into a submission. You know, and that's something that I've realized is being very, very slow. And, and, and it's again, like you talked about, it's a chess, it's a chess game is the way I look at it, right? You always got to think a step ahead. So I, I, I'm really happy that I was able to have the understanding from ultra running to come in and be very present in what I'm doing at that time and moment. Um, and, and, and it's, it's been a very different and eye opener in that realm, you know, to see that happen. I always found it interesting, and even to 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 draw this back to the original theme of looking at the the trends in human human evolution. But but I've always found it fascinating, where you know, because you've heard this on numerous podcasts before, when we look at the idea of managing stress, you know, the stressors, the chaos that our our ancestors felt, you know, the threat to their life, right, the saber toothed tigers the woolly mammoths or whatever, like some some external stressor to their life that they were subjected to on a semi-regular basis. I can only imagine, right? A semi-regular basis that created, you know, their stress adaptations. But, you know, as, as the saber-toothed tigers died out and went away and, you know, human beings, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we, we did really nothing to manage the stress in our lives. In fact, if anything, we made life more stressful on ourselves because... Now it's like we have bosses, we have phones that are constantly ringing. It's we a have, different kind of stress. Yeah, we have in-laws, you know. And, and <laughs> That's a special stress. <laughs> <laughs> but, but nonetheless, right, that stress, and we talked about this before, that stress creates an adaptation. It creates change. You know, George, like, yeah, you talk about how your ultra-running stressor made you calm in a, in a combat-ish type scenario, right, where people are kind of rolling and fighting against one another. Like the threat to life is one of those you know, ancestral things that we've developed mechanisms for, right? We, we've developed the fight or flight response to, to give us a leg up in that exact situation, you know? But one of the things that we've have to become conscious of as, as human beings in the 21st century is that we really need to watch how we regulate 
that fight or flight response. If we constantly find ourselves in this jacked up state, you know, and we don't know how to regulate ourselves, then then we're going to see a physiological change as a result of that. Oh yeah, you'll see some serious hormonal. Yeah, and then some. Havoc. I mean, and food creates stress as well. I mean, you get a stress response from certain types of foods, and and you know, we talk about how life now becomes a massive project in stress management. Um, but it's important. I mean, it's, it's the world you live in. So, you know, if you want to apply Darwin's theory to this world to, to best survive and, and to honestly, when we talk about survival, I'm not talking about, you know, living. Yes, I'm talking about living, but I'm also talking about living a life with enough quality that allows you to do the things that you're ultimately here to do or want to do on this planet is you have to keep that comfort zone as wide as possible, right? If you if you narrow your comfort zone, if you take away your ability to adapt, right? If you, you know, I, I eat horribly, I gain all kinds of weight and I'm obese and now I can't move. Well, I've taken away my ability to adapt to stress. I've, I've overloaded the system with stress and now that's going to take away from my ability to live my life, you know? And it's not one of these things that, that just happens overnight. These are things that happen collectively over time and and to bring awareness to your to yourself in the moment of just why you're doing what you're doing it's it's huge you know and and it and it will really the practice of being present is i don't know it's a, it's a huge stress relief because you know you're if you're anxious you live in your future if you're depressed you live in the past you know and if you're mindful you just you live in the present so you know it's it's one of these things that i know it sounds <laughs> it sounds hippie Hippity dippity. No, but so it's not. I, I'm. It, it goes into this man, and one of my favorite psychologists right now is Eric Aronson, and he he kind of came with this idea of developing a unique identity, right? And unfortunately, a lot of us don't understand how to create this unique identity, right? And it all starts from when we were born to pretty much when we die, and there's eight stages through it. And I think the problem with that is that most people go through these stages in life a lot faster than they should be and end up causing imbalances throughout their life. And this is where the hippiness comes in, right, Chris, when we both talk about this, right, is, you know, different stages in our life, we're supposed to create new ideas and create challenges so that it helps us, you know, move to the next stage. And unfortunately, people are now getting to a certain stage and all of a sudden now go ahead and blow right past it to a next stage. Well, to go ahead and get comfortable in learning what that stage is. They have to understand the stage before that. And it goes back to the whole identity and purpose, right? One of the stages that we see throughout the eight stages from the psychologist that when he, he developed this theory was role or identity versus role confusion. And I think a lot of people are currently in that place now where they're in a position of they don't know what their true identity is because they're in this role confusion due to social uh, social media and social emotional emotional connections with people and you can name it to where now they're completely confused but when you go ahead and look at someone who knows what their identity is dude they're not confused at all because they have an understanding of what the unique identity is going to be because they've stepped through these eight stages to develop this realm can we fix it can you grow from it? Yes. You just have to backpedal and kind of be like, where am I missing this? And this goes into that aspect of like asking yourself truly like, all right, do I know health as well as I want? Am I healthy with, am I, do I have a healthy mindset with health? Do I have a healthy understanding with training? Do I have a healthy understanding with my kids? Do I have a healthy understanding with my, my loved ones? Like all these things, right? And if we end up creating this, uh, this spider graph, 
and it's all over the place and it doesn't give us an octagon of being balanced, then what are we doing wrong there, right, in that realm? So I think that people need to develop a unique identity when it comes to really understanding what we're doing in, you know, creating this aspect of identity that you're talking about and creating a purpose and creating a healthy lifestyle and evolving, continually evolving. I think that a lot of people rush through these stages that you're talking about searching for this big end enlightenment Mm -hmm. because they don't want to be uncomfortable in this limbo and do the work outside of the comfort zone. But in all honesty, that's where you're going to grow and, and learn is from being uncomfortable and needing to respond and think and do the work. One of uh, one of the stages actually talks about is like it's stagnation versus like gene activity or, or and, and the way it looks at it is that looking at leave a sense of positive legacy behind you and caring for future generations. And I think a lot of people are trying to get to that stage a lot faster than they need to. And that stage really doesn't develop or supposed to start developing until you're 30 to the 50 to 30 to 50 years old, where you know, I, I, I noticed this with you, Chris, when I first met you, you were very, very wise for your age. When I first met you, you were very smart. You understood it. You were very down to earth. And I, as I've kind of came into this realm and actually stepped back a little bit, I've actually started realizing like, oh, this is the place that I'm at. I was in a sense of where's my identity going? Am I in a role confusion, right? Like once we've been able to do that and, and you do a very well job of understanding that, right? You're never really stagnant. You're very good at understanding like how to flow and grow with that. And that's something that I've taken from you in this realm. And I kind of, when I looked at this, I was like, oh, that makes complete sense now, right? Like, and it all comes from different environments that we've been in. Does that make sense? It's the nice thing you've said to me all day. You're welcome, buddy. Aww, <laughs> see, look at the brotherly love. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I, I think the, uh, you know, the the theme that we're trying to get at number one is that our our ancient ancestors were were patient due to circumstance, and we uh, have to be patient by choice because um, it's very you're right. It's very easy to want to jump stages, to miss stages, to rush through stages, and not truly absorb the value of uh, of each individual stage, and and it's purely like i said it is a it is a conscious effort you know it is the burden of of this you know human species is that we have to remain uh consciously patient um because life will move very 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 quickly and you know i mean that's like i said you you can you'll suffer the consequences for your actions one way or another right move too fast or move too slow um either way there's there's consequences so man talked about a lot of stuff today i feel like like that was like like therapy or something (laughs) well i mean i i don't know for me like i i there's um there's a book out there called sapiens um by yuval harari that's it's been it's been it's been a very great read um and we always try to to recommend you know further learning for those of you guys who listen to the podcast we encourage you guys to go out and to you know read read for yourself look at our sources you know find sources of your own like ultimately what what we at softly want nothing more for you guys than to make what we tell you as meaningful to yourself and your particular situation as possible um we put out a lot of stuff a lot of different rabbit holes that we arguably could have dived down uh in each individual podcast episode just by themselves Um, but the idea, what we ultimately wanted you guys to take away from this podcast was that when, you know, by looking back, right, by looking at where we came from, 
you know, from, from an evolutionary standpoint to earlier stages of ourselves, um, you, you start to realize that one, you know, there's a lot of things to be taken from there. You know, the way you were made, the body that you have and what it's capable of and what, what is meant for it and what is not meant for it, um, will ultimately allow you, I think, to live the life that you want, right? I mean, human beings back then, back in the day, were, were really made to be durable, they were made to survive, and they were made to thrive ultimately in their environment. And we want to see the same for ourselves and our generation, but we've we've also created some obstacles for ourselves in order to get to that point, I think. And by by adopting some habits and some traits, I think, from uh, from the lessons learned of evolution, I think we can all find ourselves there at one point in time. Hopefully. So. Yeah. I mean, realistically, going back to the very aspect of comfort zone, Chris, like you've mentioned and we've talked about multiple times, it, it comes down to being able to put yourself in a position that's going to cause you not to be comfortable, that's going to help you develop into something new. And if you can do that, you are moving in the right realm. Again, like I said, going back to your, the whole, it was really cool that you did that, man. I'm really happy for you that you did that. You know, it's something I do with running, but I get that asked a lot, man, all the time. Like you run how many miles and you like to do what? And like, yeah, they're like, oh my God, you're fucking crazy. And it's like, yeah. am I really, or am I just doing what I was naturally born Correct. to do? Correct. And, and that's it, the thing. It, it, yeah. That's, that's, that's a great point. And you're right. You know, so when you find those cold pools uh, and when you find those trails, you know, yes, the world will call you brave. The world might call you crazy. They'll, they'll come up with some adjective for, you know, your activity because it does, even though it was what you were born and made to do, the society that we've created for ourselves is, has a very, very narrow comfort zone. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we encourage you to escape it. We encourage you to adapt, to overcome, and uh, to ultimately, you know, suck all the goodness out of life. Develop your own unique identity. Develop your own unique identity. I love it. All right, guys. Well, um, that'll do it for this week. And thank you again for listening. And we will see you back here next week. Word. Thanks, guys.